You can go ahead and open your Bibles if you'd like to um, Mark chapter 10. We'll pick up there in a few minutes in verse 17. Mark chapter 10. C.S. Lewis said, you know I love to quote him. He always has a good quote on hand for just about any occasion. He says, once a man follows God, how could he not live forever? You know, I've said this to you many times. And then he finishes, once a man refuses to follow God, what can he do but wither and die? So last week we talked about how great our God is, how unfathomably great he is. He is the God of Psalm 99. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim, let the earth shake. Amen. Now, if that's not the, the God you worship, you're wor worshiping a false God. If that's not the Jesus Christ that uh, you are in love with and that you obey and follow, then you have a pseudo Christ. We know there are, there are tens of thousands of pseudo Christs out there. We love the biblical Christ in this church. So we can follow this awesome God because he is God. We can do all he says because he will do all he says. It's Hebrews 11.6. It's always Hebrews 11.6. He's God and nobody else is, right? And we believe he's God, but what else? What does Hebrews 11.6 say? We believe he's God and we believe what? What does real faith believe? He's a rewarding God. So we absolutely can't obey him in the world. We don't have to be afraid. Yes, we have liberty. We are emancipated from our slavery to fear and anxiety. We can radically obey the Lord in 2020 because he is who he is. He says what he says. He does what he does. And so you and I have no excuse in 2020 if we do not obey the Lord. We have no excuse. On the last day, there'll be no excuse. It's what he's going to tell a, a young man. You know the story, the rich young ruler. It's what he's going to tell the young man tonight. Follow me. But the guy won't do it. Why? He has an idol. And we have a small group here, but I'll say probably there may be some idol problems here. I don't know. Anything in your heart above Jesus is an idol. Anything you love, desire, cherish, pursue above Jesus Christ, that is an idol. So we'll talk more about that as we go through the text. So we looked at God in his breathtaking glory last week, and then he gives us this breathtaking invitation. He says, come on and go with me, right? It's the best invitation you'll ever get. Some of you may not believe that. I hope that most of you do. You'll never get a better invitation than to go with God. You'll never get a better opportunity than to go with God. It just doesn't get any better than that for a human being to go with God. Again, you know, you have to decide where gain is and where loss is. This is a problem for much of the human race. So I'm going to start this way. thought I would define the word bad for you. You know what it means. Not achieving an adequate standard. Evil or wicked. My favorite preachers, I've heard them all say, you know, I love John Piper. Well, he's bad. I love John MacArthur. Well, he's bad, too. Jim Albright's not a very good preacher, but he's bad. He, he tries, but he's bad. And oh, guess what? You're bad. Some of you think, 
I'm good. I'm in church. I must be good. God says you're bad. You know what he told the, you know what he told the religious leaders uh, when he was walking the earth back in the first century, the, the Jewish religious leaders? He said, you are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. You are sons of hell. This is how Jesus talks to religious people. That's why I always remind you, we are not religious people. We don't do religion in here. We are lovers and followers of Christ, right? We don't do religion. This is what God says about you and me. None of you are righteous, not even one. There's not one of you who's righteous. This is Romans 3, 10 through 12. None of you understand. None of you seek for God. All of you have turned aside. Together you have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. He indicts the whole human race. There's not one good person on the planet. You know, you always hear the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, there's never been but one good person, and they killed him. You're not a good person. I don't care what you think about yourself. I'm not a good person. Apart from Jesus, as we know, most of mankind gives no heed to the word of God. Most men like to think of themselves as being pretty good. And if, and if they do something bad, it's kind of not really their fault. It's the circumstance. It was how I was raised. It's really not my fault. You know, you get this all the time, right? Nobody's at fault. Adam wasn't at fault. Eve wasn't at fault. You know, go read the account. They're blaming everybody else but themselves. It's uh, kind of crazy. Well, it's a bad environment. I was raised in a bad environment. It's still your fault. Your sin is your fault. It's nobody else's fault. My sin is my fault. Mankind likes to create religious systems. It makes them feel good about themselves. And this is what happens on Sunday a lot all over the world, right? People show up for church. It makes me feel good about myself. And if I feel good about myself, I'm sure God feels good about me because I did some religious stuff. Again, we're going to address this as we go through the text. Religion is good, so I must be good. And no doubt, God is impressed with my goodness. I'm going to throw in this quote because I love it so much. He's an old dead guy. I think he's a, a Puritan from a long, 17th century. There it is. Listen to what he says. No man was ever kept out of heaven for his confessed badness, right? A man who comes honestly before God and confesses his sin and receives forgiveness from Jesus Christ. No man like that has ever been kept out of heaven, though many are kept out of heaven because of their supposed goodness, right? Because of their supposed goodness. False religion, including pseudo-Christianity, fosters a supposed goodness. Jesus said it in Matthew 7. The people who say, Lord, Lord, to me. What did Jesus say? He said, well, there's a few of you who don't really believe. He said, there are many of you who do not know me. This is what Jesus said. You know, and a pastor, who, a pastor who loves his church and those who hear him, he's reminding them the words of Jesus. These are not my words. These are his words. Through which he warns us to not be merely religious. So in Mark chapter 10 tonight, we, what appears, we see what appears to be this young, eager Man, to be a, become a follower of Jesus. I mean, this guy is jacked up, right? These are the kind of guys that pastors or people like me like to meet. You want to meet this guy, right? 
His eyes are wide and he's excited and he wants to follow Christ. Or at least he thinks he does. <laughs> you know, in my job, you do meet these guys a lot. They think they want to follow Christ till you start telling them exactly what Christ has said. And then you find out that many of them are no longer quite so eager. So tonight we look at this, this young man who approaches Jesus and Jesus unmasks him. He's only a religious guy wanting to feel good about himself. He doesn't really want God at all. Not really. He doesn't want God at all. He, he wants Christ to tell him some religious thing, some religious box to check so he can feel good about himself, right? So he could be like a Pharisee. So I hope you have your Bibles open to Mark, Mark chapter 10. This account is in three different Gospels. It's in Matthew, it's in Luke, and tonight in Mark chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 17. And he, this is Jesus, was setting out on a journey, and a man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In the Matthew account, it says, Behold, which is wow. I mean, we'll put it in street vernacular. Wow! You know, here comes a... Here comes an, a big guy. This guy, this guy's important, right? He is a rich young ruler. We learn from uh, Luke that he is a ruler. And verse 22 is going to tell us that he's rich. So he's a big shot. He's a big shot. Here comes a big shot. And he wants to know what he has to do to inherit eternal life. Tell me what to do. Give me a box to check. Give me a sacrament to do. Give me a prayer to pray. Give me something so I can feel good about myself. This is the long and short of what we're seeing here. He's a highly respected man in the communi community. And Middle Eastern men of status did not do this, what he's doing. He ran up and knelt. They just did not do this kind of thing. But we see he's highly motivated. He's got the right attitude. He's come to the right source and he's asking the right questions. He is a hot prospect. We got to get this guy baptized, right? We got to get him in the church. How can we miss with this guy? Get him to pray the prayer. Get him to baptize. Get him to be baptized. That's all Christianity is anymore, right? Oh, I prayed the prayer. I, I did the sacrament. I, I got baptized. That must be I'm a Christian. If you've read your Bible, you realize, no, that does not necessarily mean you're a Christian. And in fact, if you're trusting in that stuff, I can tell you for sure you're not a Christian. <coughs> so this is an important passage for all of us to understand. Yeah, your average pastor in your average church today would have this guy baptized by the end of the week. But that is not what Jesus does. He is the master evangelist. Either Jesus doesn't know how to evangelize or you and I don't know how to evangelize. If we're still doing it the old way, right? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, that's a horrible thing to say to someone who is outside of Christ because it's simply not true. That person is on their way to con eternal condemnation. You don't lie like that to people. That's not good evangelism. In good conscience, we can't really talk like that to people. 
Jesus doesn't dumb it down. He doesn't make it easy and simple. He tells him what it's going to cost, right? Which is everything, right? It costs everything to be a Christian. You have to surrender and submit to his lordship. That means you're no longer in charge, right? That's what I'm talking about when I say surrender every. Your life now is his. You know, people that want to be baptized in this church, this is one thing I make sure they will understand. Now your life is his. It, pardon me. Now, yes, I said it right. Your life is his. It's his. It's not yours. That's what Lord means. That's what Lord means. That's what it means. So love always speaks the truth, and Jesus unmasks this man. We would do well to emulate Jesus Christ here. So I'm going to read verses 18 through 21, and I want you to try to hear the, the major aspects of the biblical gospel that Jesus is putting in front of this man, which we see when Jesus is speaking, pulling you know, he's putting forth all the gospel here. We see that these are barriers to false professions. This is one of my goals as a pastor. I don't want people who don't really know Christ, I don't want them to profess to know Christ. I don't want to baptize these people. Now, you do make mistakes as a human being. People can trick you and fool you, and they look real. And then, as we've talked about many times, many, they, many people will simply walk away. This is an epidemic in the modern church. So verse 18, Jesus said to this man, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Why is Jesus asking him this? He's basically running at two things. One, do you know who I am? Do you know I'm good? Do you know I'm God? Ultimately, this is what he's asking. Do you know I'm Messiah? Because biblically, only one person is good, God. Nobody else is. There are no shades of gray when it comes to how the Bible defines good. There's one good. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is the only one who's good. Okay? So, I think this is one thing Jesus is saying. Do you understand who I am? Secondly, Jesus is making the point, no one is good except God. Making sure this man understands. Good is not a relative term. Again, there's one good being. Good in the sense of being ultimately, perfectly holy. And that is God. It really helps us to be humble and understand that in and of yourself, there's no good thing in you. It's good to understand that. You know why? It keeps you humble, man. You're not going to be self-righteous before God, right? <laughs> None of us are going to be self-righteous before God if we understand that there's no good thing in me apart from the work that God does in me. I know most of us think we're pretty good. Um, but John Piper's right. John MacArthur's right. And in this, this instance, I happen to be right. John's bad. Piper's bad. MacArthur's bad. And Albright's bad. I need a Savior. I desperately need a Savior. 
And this is what Jesus is trying to help this man understand. He needs a Savior. Verse 19, Jesus says, You know the commandments. Do the law, man. Do, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. What do you see right there in verse 19? You see the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth commandment. Jesus is saying, do the law. This is the half of the law dealing with uh, human relationships. He says, do the law. When was the last time you brought up the law with the, when you were trying to convert somebody or trying to evangelize somebody? You almost never hear it done. The master evangelist brought up the law. The point is, you're a sinner, man. You can't keep the law. You need, you need a Savior. We need a Savior. Listen to what he says, verse 20. And he said to Jesus, Teacher, I've kept all the law. I've done all of this stuff. I'm a good man. And Jesus is just going to unmask him, man. You're not a good man. We're going to see it in a few minutes. Why? He loves something more than he loves God. That's the epitome of sin. Right? That's, that's the, the essential essence of rebellion and sin before God. I love something more than I love my Creator. That's the root of all sin. He says, man, I, I've done all this stuff. I've kept the letter. I've never actually killed. I've never, done a, I've never actually committed adultery. I, I haven't stolen anything. He's saying I've kept the letter of the law. But what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? You guys know what he talks about, right? He talks about the heart of the law, the spirit of the law. Jesus says, you've been taught if you don't commit murder, you're good. But I say to you, if you hate somebody, you are a murderer in your heart. He says, you've been taught that if you don't com commit adultery, that's good. But Jesus says, I say to you, if you've lusted for a woman in your heart, you are an adulterer. I doubt there's anybody sitting in here that would honestly say I've kept um, the letter of the law. I know for sure none of you have kept the spirit of the law. I know for sure. Maybe you're super spiritual. I don't know. I know I haven't. I know that I haven't. So this big shot religious guy, he's not only broken the law, and Jesus is pointing this out to him and will continue to do so. He's not only broken the law many times, no doubt he has broken it today. The very day he stands in front of the Son of God, no doubt he had broken it with impure thoughts. He thinks he's pretty good. He's religious. He's rich. He's respected. He doesn't kick the dog. He pays his taxes. He's a good guy. If you read your Bible, you realize God is not impressed with religion. In fact, he hates religion. It's Satan's best con, and here, here, I'll just give it to you, Matthew 23. You remember the time when Jesus talked to the Pharisees, and he, he said eight times, he said, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. 
He says, you're whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you, you appear beautiful, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. Even so, you too outwardly appear righteous, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus is challenging this guy's self-righteousness and his self-justification. It's not simply external. With God, it can, it's not just about the outside. Christianity is inside out. Religion is outside in. God is interested in what's going on in the heart because hate is murder and lust is adultery. Verse 21, and looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and then do what? Do what? He says, get rid of your sin and then what? Follow me. This is what real Christians do. Okay? Yeah, and there's always a new sin popping up. You have to get rid of that one. You know, you have to, you have to discharge that sin. But we're always following God. We're following God. We're following God. We never stop following God. This is the invitation. We saw it last week. We can follow God because He's a competent God. He's an almighty God. A God who can keep His promise what is Jesus saying? You have to sell everything to be a Christian? No. You do have to deal with every idol. You have to deal with every last idol. If you love something more than Him, you cannot go with Him. Basta. That's just all there is to it. We can play religious games. We can do denominationalism. We can be a churchgoer. We can be a church attender. But you can't walk with God. If you keep the idol in your heart, you cannot walk with God. You simply can't do it, beloved. It's simply not possible. So Jesus is lovingly showing this man his own heart. And this is what the Bible does, right? It shows me my heart every week. This is why God's people sit under the preached word. It shows us our heart. It shows us how much we need a Savior. This is why the prideful don't last very long in a Bible, a Bible preaching church. They go somewhere else where they can get stroked. Only the humble will sit under the word of God and hear it. So, Jesus is showing this man that he's broken all of the law. I was looking at, I saw this quote this week. I got to share it with you. This guy was rich, right? So prosperity is the trial that is not recognized. You know, a lot of, a lot of us are pursuing prosperity. This is a trial, right? This is, what, is, what does Paul say to Timothy about it, right? This is a, a huge temptation. It's a stumbling block to be rich. And most of us in the West are rich by comparison to the rest of the world. I love it. Prosperity is a trial that's never recognized. Listen, beloved, if God has prospered, you're accountable. <laughs> he doesn't give you stuff to spend on yourself, right? He's giving you stuff to be a blessing in the church and in the world at large. There's one more quote I want to share with you. There is no trial as great as no trial. Do you understand the point? There's no trial as great as no trial. If you have no trial, that's a trial. Right? Do you understand? All right. I'll leave it alone. We'll move on. Listen to Mark 12, 30 to 31. This is why this man has an idol. This is why he's guilty under the law. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, uh, there is no other commandment greater than these. You guys know what Jesus' half-brother says over in James 2, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he is guilty of it all. So Jesus is saying this to this man. Jesus says, oh, you keep the law? Then keep it supremely. Sell all your junk and give it to your, your neighbors. You love God supremely? Give me your life. This is how Jesus talks. Okay? This is how he talks. <laughs> He's not playing religion. He's not playing religion. This guy had not only not kept the second half of the law with regarding human relationships. He hasn't kept the first half of the law. He has not loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let me read verse 22. At these words, when Jesus said, sell what you have and follow me, at these words, the man's face fell and he went away grieved for he was one who was very rich. He owned, the text says, very much Property. So this big shot guy realizes he has just been undressed before God. He is wholly exposed. God has looked into his heart, seen his idol, and asked him to deal with it. He's unwilling to do it. He can go back down to the synagogue and be a church member, but he can't go with God. He can't be a Christian. He can't be a disciple. He loves his money. Don't you love Christianity? It's so plain. <laughs> There's no gray area here, right? <laughs> it's just plain. That's one thing I love about the Bible. He loved his money more than he loved God. Here's how he broke the first four commandments. Listen to this. He had a false god. He put... Uh, that he put before Jehovah God. It was his money, right? He was an idolater. God says, have no God before me. That's commandment number one. This man preeminently worshipped and served his money. He served his God, which was money. And God says, put away your idols. It's commandment number two. Commandment three. Every time he used God's name, it was in vain. For he loved God more. He loved his money more than he loved God. God says, don't take my name in vain. One of my seminary professors, this, this stunned me, man, and I, I was really convicted by it. He says, man, when you come into the house of God and you, you, you sing praises to God with, you know, brain dead, heart dead, it's, it's, that's the definition of, being, of singing in vain. That's the definition of praising God in vain. Don't come in here, right, in vain and quote, unquote, worship God. I never forget when I heard him say that, I thought, wow. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. That's not just cursing, using his name as a curse word. That's saying we love him and belong to him, and yet living like we don't. And I'm not talking about perfection here. I'm never talking about perfection. Man, I have to confess my sin all the time. I'm not a perfect man. You're not a perfect man or woman. We're all being sanctified. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about affection. What is your premier affection? Is it God or is it some idol? Fourth commandment, 
Keep the Sabbath holy. Every time he went into the synagogue and observed the Sabbath, he, he was a hypocrite. <laughs> he loved his money more than he loved God. He couldn't keep the Sabbath. So I hope you see some of the dangers of religion here. You can be very religious outward and break all of God's laws at the same time. You can be very religious outwardly and be alienated from God. You can be very religiously outwardly and be on your way to eternal condemnation. It's Hebrews 11.6. This man couldn't sell everything because he didn't believe God was a rewarder. This is why, I've been doing this a long time, this is why many people who profess to be Christian don't really follow God. They don't believe He's good. They believe He's there. you got to believe He's there. Only a fool doesn't believe God is there. You have to be a fool not to believe that God is there. There has to be an adequate first cause. So only the fool, as the Bible says, denies God. We have to, yeah, acknowledge that. So everybody almost, even if they don't speak, even the atheist knows, Romans chapter 1, that God is there. But the test is, do you believe He's good? In such a way that you could sell all your stuff. It's not that we have to sell all our stuff, but we would. We would sell all our stuff, wouldn't you? Isn't Christ worth that to you? Isn't he worth infinitely more than all your stuff? How much is your stuff worth once they put you in the ground? How much is it worth? How much is it worth to you? <laughs> it's not worth anything. So, quickly, were you able to identify the principal elements, elements of Jesus' gospel presentation? Verse 18, he showed the man God. Only God is good. Verse 19, he showed the man the law, and the law blew up his pretense of self-righteousness. Verse 20, 21, Jesus showed the man his sin, and he called him to repentance. Verse 21 again, Jesus revealed his absolute lordship in the man's life, and he said, follow me. This is the gospel. You know, if you're ever going to want to evangelize your, a friend, just... You can go right here, right? You can just go to Mark chapter 10 and evangelize like the master did. Of course, we can't see the heart. We don't know where the idol is, but we can always challenge our, our hearer. Do you love something more than God? You got to get rid of it. You got to get rid of it. You know, you hear this a lot in the States. I don't know about where you're from. Family is the most important thing. This is blasphemous. Family is never the most important thing. And if you believe family is the most important thing, you don't know anything about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the most important thing in the cosmos. And if you don't build your life around Him, you're wasting your life. It's just reality. It's what the Bible teaches. It's what the Bible teaches. I love what Piper says about this. He says, man, we got to get rid of this deification of the family, right? Of course we love our spouses and our children. Of course we do. We're called to do it. It's what good believers do, but we're certainly not loving them apart and above God. We need to stop trying to spin the gospel and manipulate people. We need to stop sharing, 
telling them half-truths. We need to be blunt and honest just like Jesus was. This guy, yeah, he could, he could be a church member, but he could never go with Christ. Yeah, he would have prayed the prayer. He would have been baptized. He would have done a sacrament or two. Whatever box you gave him to check, he would have checked it. You can do all that stuff and not love God. You can do all that stuff and never know God. That's why religion is so dangerous. It's, it's Satan's best con. And he's laughing. Let me just say, I don't know if we have anyone like this in here, but let me just say, if you're, a if you're only a church member, if you don't love God, if you don't know Christ, if you're not building your life around Christ, what I'm saying to you is Satan is laughing. You can, you can almost hear him laughing out loud at you. He has conned you. You have been conned. Jesus is quite blunt. We're gonna, I think we're going to take a couple of weeks and talk about these kinds of things. You know what he said in Matthew 10, if you love your family more than me, if you're unwilling to take up your cross and follow me, you're unworthy of me. If anyone wishes to come after me, he's got to pick up his cross, man. You know, there's a, there's a dying before there's a living. You have to die to death, right? The Christian dies to death that we might live unto life. That's what the baptism means, right? You're down in the water, you're dead. You're buried. You come back out, you're raised up anew. It's the imagery of baptism. So this guy walked away sad. We, you know, the, you know the, uh, the, the great other example in the scripture, a rich man who didn't do that. Can you remember the rich man who didn't walk away sad? Jesus confronted a, another rich guy. You remember? You remember who it was? Zacchaeus? What did Zacchaeus do? True conversion. Zacchaeus, unprompted by Jesus, said, I'm going to give half my stuff away. <laughs> right? He knew he'd been a, a thief. It was a beautiful, beautiful picture of true conversion. Quickly, let's look at 23 to 27. I'm just going to summarize this for you. Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to be saved. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. The disciples are astonished. They said, who can be saved then? Uh, so why are they astonished? It's an accepted dogma in that day that the rich had the favor of God and the more alms you could give, the more it would contribute toward your atonement. But look at verse 27. Looking upon them, Jesus said, with men it is impossible, but with, not with God, for all things are possible with God. Even a rich man can be saved in Jesus Christ, right? <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Wealth exacerbates the problem because, as I said before, wealth is the trial you don't recognize. You don't recognize that your faith is being tested here in prosperity. What am I going to do with this prosperity? Am I going to, you know, honor God with it and alleviate suffering? in the world, or am I just going to spend it on myself? Prosperity is always, you know, what, what does Paul say to, say to Timothy? Because of the pursuit of it or the love of it, many have pierced themselves with many a pang. And I think it says, have, have left the faith. I'll have to follow up on that. So the foundational point here, not that you have to give everything away, but you would. 
the true believer's already done this transaction in their heart, right? I've already done this in my heart. I've already decided a long time ago. Whatever he asked me to do, I'm doing it. Right? I've already done the deal. I've, the deal's already been done in my heart. <laughs> I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, why? Because Hebrews 11 is sick. It, it, Hebrews 11, 6 is true, right? He's not only God, he's a good God. All right, verse 28 quickly. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus says, verse 29, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive what? 10,000%, a hundred times as much, now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus says, everything's yours. If you're mine, every good thing is yours. You may not have it right now. You will have it soon. Okay? He's a competent God. Jesus says, you can't really make a sacrifice for me because I'm going to multiply it back to you a hundred times. You can't really sacrifice anything for God that it doesn't come back to you in the new heaven and new earth. It's coming back to you. It's going to be multiplied to you a hundredfold. You know, Randy Alcorn, it's just stupid. <laughs> he says, you know, it's just stupid not to invest in the kingdom of God. It's just stupid. It's stupid. If we believe the Bible, Jesus says, man, you've been adopted into the family of God. And you have houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms. You don't know anything about when Karen and I travel. This happens to us all the time, right? <laughs> Wherever we go, it seems like we have a friend, somebody that's been through ICM. And they always take care of us. Jesus says, your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Listen to John Piper and I'm about done. Christians are not heroes who can boast in great sacrifice for God. You've never given up anything for God that he will not multiply back to you. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It costs everything. And yet, in the, and on the other hand, it costs nothing. You know, God's the one that uses the word reward. It's reward. But Piper quote, Christians are not heroes who can boast in great sacrifice for God. They are merely Christian hedonists. They have discovered that there is a hundred times more joy and satisfaction in a life devoted to Christ than in a life devoted to frivolous comforts, pleasures, and worldly advancements. Jesus says every good thing belongs to my people. Oh yeah, eternity too. What about the persecutions? Well, we know, right? We know. If we know our Bibles, if we know the history of the church, if we've been a Christian very long, we know people will hate us. They hated Jesus. They hate you too. It's just part of the territory. This is not a shock to us. We, it's not unexpected when it happens. We expect it. It will happen. If you don't expect it, you won't be prayed up. Jesus tells us that we might be prayed up we need to expect that it will happen. In Christ, we have a new spiritual family. In Christ, we have new spiritual enemies, right? 
In Christ, we have spiritual blessings and inheritance. In Christ, we have spiritual warfare and enemies. If they persecuted me, the Son of God says, they will do the same to you. And what is God's purpose in allowing Christians to suffer persecution? <laughs> it reveals the true value, worth, and incomparable sufficiency of Jesus. Jesus is better than anything this life can give, and Jesus is better than anything death can take. That's what the true believer knows. One more Piper quote. I'm sorry I had a couple in this, this sermon. Karen was going to get on to me. One more. Listen to this. Real faith is utterly, utterly in love with God. Real faith loves God more than job, money, dream houses, and retirement. Real faith loves God more than family. Real faith loves God more than, than life. Real faith says where, whether God handles me tenderly or gives me over to torture, I love Him. Right? I love Him. I love Him. I love Him. So bad men like John Piper, John MacArthur, and Jim Albright who come to understand that they deserve hell but have been the beneficiaries of God's unfathomable grace, mercy, and love, this is what the gospel is about. If we've really understood who He is and what He's done and what He saved us from, it's not hard to be a disciple. In fact, it's impossible not to be one. If you've really understood it, you cannot not go with Him if you understand all that's at stake. So I'll just close the way I started. Once a man follows God, how could he not live forever? Once a man refuses to follow God, what can he do but wither and die? Let's pray together. Lord, what a great text. What a great picture. What a great distinction and dichotomy being drawn between religion and discipleship. But between self-righteousness and Christ's righteousness. Lord, we love your word. We thank you for it. It brings us to our knees if we'll own it and believe it. It brings us to our knees and we cry out for a great Savior. Oh, we have one. We have one. His name is Jesus Christ. And He has loved us with an unfathomable love. And He has come and He has laid His life down for His bride. And He has defeated death and He's reigning in heaven, and He is soon to return. We have an awesome Savior. Lord, we thank You for the Gospel. We thank You for this message. I pray that the Spirit of God drives this message home to each of us, that we would understand how easy it is to be deceived when it comes to religion. Father, that none, nobody in this room within the sound of my voice would be deceived. 
that we would all deal with every idol that we have. We would start right now putting down anything we love more than you that we would start right now. Thank you, Father, for the word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and we'll close with my favorite benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. God bless you. Have a great week. Hope to see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.